Welcome everyone to the next episode of The Running Elephant. We'll be talking to Inyaki about his vision for the future of Bupa over the course of these podcast series and answering some of your questions about the elephant. I'm Nigel Sullivan, Bupa's Chief Sustainability and People Officer. I'm joined yet again by Inyaki Arenio, our CEO. Hello Inyaki, how are you? Dr. Sullivan, not as well as you, but fine. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> In today's episode, we're going to look at healthcare expertise, absolutely fundamental to the delivery of the three times six elephant strategy. So I'm delighted that we've got a special guest with us today. We're joined by Dr. Paula Franklin, our chief medical officer, to help us. Hello, Paula. Welcome to The Running Elephant. Thanks, Nigel. Hello. Maybe if I start with uh, with you and Yaki, just... Um, over the years, you know, we've 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 debated about are we a funding company, are we a provision company, and we've got this strap line now in terms of our ambition to be the most customer centric healthcare company in the world. What does it mean, funding, provision, healthcare? Do you see a differentiation between them? Well, thank you, uh, Nigel. I think to be honest, is a great question. So, I have always felt both, to be honest, a healthcare company, but also a funding company. So I have, I need to recognize I've been working in the part of Pupa probably with more hospitals, more clinics, so probably more on the side of healthcare, but also very proud to, you know, to having been a big funding, big insurance company. I've been, for example, in the last many years, I've been in the executive body of the, of the National Insurance Association in Spain. So the point is, I don't see that we shouldn't create a big dichotomy, a big controversy. But I think going forward probably is good, considering where we are coming from, to just remember ourselves that the healthcare element in our lives probably is bigger than we have said in the past, because I believe the future, and we will have a lot of time now to talk about the future, goes in that direction. Yeah, I think um, looking at it from our customers' perspective, they they want, you know, there's something they want as an outcome, and it's it's usually a health outcome that they're after, you know, exactly. most, most, first and foremost. Um, Paula, there are a load of challenges. We're going to come on to the provision a bit more in, in a minute, but loads of challenges for healthcare in healthcare at the minute. I mean, what are those challenges from your point of view and, and how, how can we respond? You're right. There are lots of challenges, Nigel. There's some big ones, though. Uh, I'll list a few. The first is uh, customers are changing and patients are changing. Uh, what they expect from healthcare is very different than it was before in terms of uh, what's delivered, how it's delivered. Uh, people expect to be able to get better regardless, so they're demanding more. And they're demanding more in terms of customer service than previously. Um, of course, medicine itself is changing. So what we can do now is so much more than we could in the past. So there are many more options for interventions, many more solutions, drugs, techniques, and so on. Um, this, of course, adds cost potentially, to how healthcare uh, is delivered and makes it more confusing, I think, for customers to understand what they really need. How healthcare is delivered has changed. We've seen that through COVID, the rise of digital and telehealth, massive change uh, in healthcare uh, and quite a step change in a relatively short period of time. Um, and I guess the fourth big challenge I would put uh, on the list is the relationship between healthcare and the environment and sustainability. I think that's really coming up now into people's consciousness. And we're seeing that uh, healthcare organisations, uh, medical associations and so on are saying that actually climate is now the big healthcare crisis. So some really massive challenges for us. Okay. 
Thanks, uh, Paula. Inyaki, thinking about the, the, I suppose, the customer angle here, um, what have you seen in terms of expectations, industry trends, particularly on the healthcare side of things? I think that uh, COVID and previous to COVID, the digitalization of health is changing, um, as Paula was uh, indicating, that the expectation of our customers. So in the past, they were expecting from us that we pay their claims. Now they're expecting us to keep them uh, healthy, so not to get sick. So this is there's a huge change here. But because in order to do this, we need to develop a series of muscles that probably we haven't developed that, mu that much in the past. For example, how we develop preventive programs for our customers, how we develop health programs, all of these uh, process using digital tools. So this is the main change I see. Okay, okay. Paul, as a clinician, um, where, where do you see the challenges for? I mean, we've obviously a lot of doctors, nurses in our company, the people listening, listening to this today. As a sort of healthcare professional, what do you think some of the challenges are for people in in our profession? I think um, I think one of the biggest challenges for clinicians is delivering today, while at the same time preparing for and embracing tomorrow. Um, I think there's huge demand. Uh, we know that we have uh, issues with healthcare staff across the world, not just Bupa everywhere. Um, and making sure that we maintain that high quality of care, that high quality of delivery, which uh, people expect from Bupa and we expect to provide. Um, but at the same time, helping people understand that the future of healthcare will be different and their jobs will be different. They'll still have jobs, but we need to evolve, get new skills, new training, need to prepare them for this new future. Uh, and I think that's quite challenging for people. I've heard you, um, just me stay, stay with you, Paula, for a second, but I've heard you talk very powerful about, you know, us becoming, uh, um, I've got written the phrase down, administrators of health information, you know, moving through from sick care, health care, preventive care to predictive care. What, 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 what's, why is that important? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's critical and I think it's, um, it's key to our future and, of course, it's written all over our strategy. Uh, healthcare traditionally has been sick care. It's been people feeling unwell, thinking they've got a problem, coming along and expecting and hoping for it to be sorted. Uh, increasingly through evolution and developments in medicine, what we're understanding now is there are opportunities to help people manage their own health, to stay well, even if you've got an illness, you can be, you can be a well and healthy diabetic, for example. Um, but also increasingly to understand what their healthcare risks are, both their biological risks, and I'm talking genetics here, so what they're genetically predisposed to, but also the risks that they're creating from how they live their lives, the environment they're living in, the behaviours that they choose to, to participate in, and understanding then and working with them and supporting them to make changes that actually uh, in some cases can prevent them from being ill at all. So we move from sick care to uh, well-being and well care to preventive care, preventing things happening before they even start. And presumably, Inyaki, that's a, that's a way of counteracting some of the other things Paula mentioned around cost and customer experience uh, improves as a result of that? We are, we are really looking to customer experience rather than cost, to be honest. 
I think it's also, and Paul, I mentioned at the beginning, the relationship, how doctors and are reacting to this process and our relationship with them also helping to go through the whole process. It's also relevant to say that we are not, when we say a doctor should be available in the mobile phone to our doctors, we're not saying any doctor. We're saying the doctor that they normally see physically, for example, in the morning in the hospital, they can, um, that is the doctor that you might want to talk to him in the evening, maybe because some analytics are available now, so you don't have to wait for two weeks. So I think, um, and, and that also, also has an element of cost. So the thing is telling them, we're not doing this to save cost. We're not gonna pay less, them less. You're just paying the same, but improving the customer experience. So I think that's, that, that's the big thing here. Okay, and I'm just going back to sort of the elephant strategy and, and particularly one of the KPIs that we have there. We've obviously got the 40, 60, 80, 40% touch points, 6% digital, uh, 80 NPS score. On the 40% touch points, I, I find that quite a challenge to sort of try and understand. I was gonna ask both of you the same question, to be honest, to try and understand a little bit about well, what does that actually mean? You know, do, do we have to build more hospitals or uh, hire more doctors or get more involved with third parties? I mean, what, what needs to happen to, to, to realize that ambition? What, what, what sort of state are we in today? What are we moving from and towards? Maybe start with you, Nyaki, and then, I ask you the similar sort of thing. Paul. Sure. So, so we have uh, we have given ourselves this big ambition KPI, the forty percent. So, two comments before I get if, before I answer you. So, two comments here. So, one is we're going to see for the close future, so for the next five years, a lot of health programs, chronic disease, um, chronic disease programs, and and a lot of uh, new digital provision that our customers will demand and we expect us from us to give them. So this is in preparation to a future in where, in where the medicine will be more precise and more personalized. But w until we get there, there will be a lot of offerings in the market in this space. So we, we have decided that we want to be there. So we, it, this is what we call digital provision. And then second element is we need to not, don't forget, to not forget that in the majority of the places in where WUPA operate, we have provision already. So we have hospitals and clinics, and in, the, in some of them, we are not taking all of the benefits that we might be getting by work, making them work more between the funding business and the provision business. So when we say we want to have a share of 40% of all of the medical touch points of our customers in three years time, what we are saying is two things is, first of all, we will love our provision businesses existing provision businesses to work more with the funding businesses. This will grow the, that percentage. And on the top of that, what we're saying is we want to build up some digital capabilities, digital provision capabilities. And by doing both things, we're gonna get to a bigger place. Today, we are probably more on the space of one digit. So because we have places in where we are 30 or 40% already, we have places in where we are at 2%, probably we are now, I don't know the, the specific number, but it's probably on the top of from zero to 10, maybe eight or 9%. How we're gonna get to the 40% is doing both things, funding, provision, working together, and digital capabilities. Okay, so, to, so to begin with, it's around a direction of travel rather than just absolutely nailing a percentage, it's around that is doing, absolutely, doing that is it, absolutely joining it together. This is what we say to the, to, to the business. We don't care whether today is a zero or a one or a two. We, don't, we, we care about the direction of travel, absolutely. 
And Paula, uh, your view on, on sort of the 40% and the sort of some of the things that we need to be doing in there? Yeah, sure. Um, I love the 40% KPI. It's, the, it's so exciting to me because to me, this is, this is the key to, to our future. So when we're talking about touch points, we're talking about interactions between customers, patients, residents, and so on with the health system. And of course, there are loads of those. And to have uh, to have those own those touch points ourselves, to have those booper touch points, it means a couple of things. First of all, it means that we establish a stronger relationship with our customers, regardless of where they're being treated or cared for. So they could be treated with a third party provider. But if we retain the touch point, then we retain that relationship, which is, is a key thing. It helps us understand them better, guide them, support them, um, and 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 helps them use more of our services, I guess. But the other key point related to touch points is data and information. So if we collect and have access to the data that's exchanged in each of those touch points, we learn more and more and more about our customers, which means that we can do more for them and with them. We can offer them more uh, and we can grow with them. We can help them manage their care. We can prevent care. Uh, it just gives us so many opportunities, Nigel. Okay, that's uh, that's exciting. Um, I'm segueing into opportunities, actually. Now you, you use the words, um, which I suppose that double-edged sword as an opportunity can come as a threat as well if we don't grasp it. Um, I've heard you talk, uh, Paula, in the past about new technology, you just mentioned data, wellness propositions and, and precision medicine as being sort of areas that we might want to play in a bit more. Maybe ask both of you around around this, but anything sort of stand out in, in, in any of those spaces that you know, would be interesting to the listeners? Yeah, I think that um, we're seeing a lot of uh, fairly rapidly develop, developing new um, new technology and the use of it, innovative use of it. Um, a couple of things that I will mention is, uh, first of all, um, genetics and genomics. So we've known about that for a long time, but I think we're now on the cusp of it really being used in, in medicine and in healthcare and people having a real understanding of what their risks are. When I was training, Nigel, we used to ask people, what's your family history? You know, what have you had in the past? And you still have people asking that, you know, do either of your parents have heart disease or whatever? Well, actually, you don't need to ask that anymore because you can see it in their genes. So that's a, a really new development. And, 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 and presumably and increasingly intervene? Absolutely. And help people Absolutely. avoid Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Either Either understand what they specifically need to do to help protect them help them manage some of this risk. And clearly you can't avoid the risk if it's genetic, but you can help people manage it. Uh, in some cases you can. We're increasingly seeing gene adaptation and gene modification. Even, even we're seeing it in utero. So before, before babies are born, you're seeing some of that now, which is incredibly exciting. Um, so yes, absolutely doing that. The other thing which I think is even more exciting is proteomics. So um, people don't know what proteomics is, they should look it up, but it's, it's the proteins that sit within the cells. Your genes code for proteins, and it's the proteins that dictate the behavior of your, of your cells and your biology, your internal physiology. The great thing about the proteomics is that you can track change because proteomics gives you a picture, a combined picture, not just of your genetic risk, but of how that's impacted by your lifestyle and your behavior. And you can track that. So I can say to somebody, this is what your proteins are telling me now. You need to reduce the amount of fat you eat, reduce your fat intake. When you come back and I redo your proteins, I can see actually that's been really successful. You've made a great change. 
the importance of that, of course, is it's hugely motivating. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's not a general information, it's specific and it's yeah. personal. So it's personalised medicine effectively? Absolutely, right. absolutely. Right. And that's where you get to the personalised bit. And we know a couple of things come out of that. So first of all, much greater uh, effective behaviour change. Change of behaviour is dif difficult. Any of us have tried to lose weight, you know it's really hard. Um, but really direct impact. So you, you avoid waste in the system. So I'm not telling you to do something, to take a pill, to have an intervention that won't work for you. I'm telling you to do what will work for you. And that makes up a huge difference. It's very, very exciting. And Yaki, possibly your experiences in Ella and Spain in particular, you, you've really seen the power for customers of this, I feel like an accountable system where people, are, you know, you have a boop of policy and you see a boop of doctor. I mean, how powerful is that in, in, in creating that frictionless environment for customers? Exactly, it's absolutely uh, powerful. And um, let, let me mention because um, I, I can't I can't improve any word that uh, Paula said so nicely and so 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 perfect. So, but let me let me open let me say something about the all medical issues that now can be treated much better because of digital tools. And let me let me talk about something very simple: is a health chronic disease health program managed by a coach. So basically. For example, imagine someone that is diagnosed with diabetes. In the old time, this person didn't have any orientation, any indication of what to do. They were lost. Now, if we build up a program for chronic disease management for diabetes, and we can tell this person, your coach is Mr. X, so Mr. X can provide this person with orientation, with instructions, can manage um, this person's agenda. And so basically, so we have been doing that for a while, there are two number 15% um, that always comes when you do an analysis of what this activity is producing. 15% um, reduction on frequency in hospitals. And I said at the beginning, this is not about cost. So I'm not, I'm not looking to this because of cost, but can you imagine people that are now much, much more safe, more, much, much more secure, thanks that you are giving them orientation, that they don't have to go to the hospital as much as they did. And there's another 15% here is they give you, in exchange of that security, they give you 15% better, better loyalty uh, ratios. So, so they're not alone because they're so not alone. You they're not alone. alone. So yeah. they want to stay with you. So yeah. this is the thing what we're trying to do. It's just the old episodes improve the way we do that. On the top of that, what Paula very nicely expressed about the future tools. Thank you, uh, both of you. That was fascinating. Um, Paula, there's a, I, I want to give you sort of a platform if you, if you want to take it. Um, we've got a, um, you know, a, a large clinical community, uh, hopefully many people listening to this um, running elephant today. Any messages for the clinical teams that you would you would want to um, give them down the line? Yeah. yeah, I guess I've got a couple of messages for them and messages for really everyone, the non-clinical team. So I think the first thing I would want to say to them is uh, a massive thank you. Um, and uh, to, to say that they are genuinely appreciated, all their efforts, and particularly given the last sort of year and a half and many of our territories still undergoing the pressures of COVID uh, and... I, w I would like them to hear that their efforts are truly appreciated. Uh, the second thing I would say is how great it must feel, it feels to me anyway, to now be in this new booper with this new strategy and a very clear direction that we are a healthcare company and that's our trajectory. And I would hope that they feel 
as enthused and excited about that as I do, and therefore uh, lend their expertise and their knowledge and their experience to contribute to this and to make it better. And to our non-clinical colleagues, I would say we have uh, a group of people here that have a great deal of insight and experience and a unique perspective, and we need to tap into that because I think that's the unique opportunity that we have in Bupa, which is both the funding experience and the provision experience. And if we put that together, I think we're unbeatable. I agree. I agree. And Yaki, any thoughts from you? Uh, again, I can't improve any words from Paul. It was perfect. I totally with you. I might only add to the clinical community that they need also to embrace the main, the big challenge that they have, that they need to help us building up the future. Because as Paula said, today we have a strategy that is clear, let's say probably for the next two or three years, but not, but not more. So we need to build up the future of this company together and the clinical community will be mega relevant on doing that. Thank you both. And it's great to have a, such a strong um, voice at the top of the organization, Paula, in, in having a chief medical officer like you. And thank you all the clinical teams as well. Thank you for saving lives, particularly uh, all the time, but through the COVID crisis, you've been amazing. Inyaki, Paula, thanks very much for taking thank the time. Thank you, it was a big pleasure. Thank you, Nigel. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As usual, if you want to get in touch, if you have any questions or comments, please drop us a line at runningelephant at See you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.